Australia has the world's largest mining company, BHP, the big Australian. And given we command the resources of an entire continent, so we should, according to one of Australia's leading social commentators, business analyst and demographer, Bernard Salt. You may have read one of his many books or his column and regular contributions in The Australian. However, he recently spoke at a business event in regional Victoria, and it was a pleasure to hear his optimistic thoughts about regional Australia and its opportunities. It was also good enough to join us for a yarn about agriculture, wool, modern consumers and more. So, welcome to The Yarn. It's a podcast for the Australian wool industry. I'm Marius Cumming. So Bernard Salt has a challenge for Australian agriculture as the pandemic wanes and we all reset. It's time to be bold, to grow, to create big Australian agricultural businesses. We have access to a broad range, extensive um, uh, arable and grazing lands. It's not the entire continent, I get that, it's substantially desert, uh, but a significant um, uh, land that for grazing and for uh, for uh, cropping and so forth. So we should have technically um, a very large agribusiness business. And in my travels across Australia, you know, there are many, many of those businesses here. Uh, many, oftentimes they um, are cooperatives as opposed to a publicly listed company. Uh, and when I turn up to regional cities across Australia, what has struck me over the years is the extent to which local um, agribusiness assets, you know, it might be an abattoir or it might be a sugar refinery, uh, you find that they are owned, in fact, by foreign interests and uh, particularly groups like uh, the family business, the Cargill Group out of Minnesota in uh, the US or JBS out of Brazil. Uh, and in dairy, it might be Fonterra or Saputo out of Canada or Parmalat. And I think, why, why don't we have an agribusiness business headquartered in Australia that started off in wool, moved into wheat, and then moved into meat processing, moved into dairying, moved into viticulture, uh, and then started snapping up assets in Argentina and in the Western part, you know, the Midwest of, um, of the US, South Africa, or wherever it is. Uh, and it struck me that we've never done that at scale. We have always had kept our agribusiness assets, you know, particularly daring companies, for example, kept them small, haven't been aggregated the way in which Fonterra was aggregated by the New Zealanders. Um, we kept them small, which just made them sort of bite-sized and snackable by foreign interests coming to, I'll have that and I'll have that, and then they aggregate them why aren't we in Canada snapping up their daring businesses or in New Zealand? Uh, it's like an opportunity that we have let slip through our fingers in agribusiness in Australia. We're fabulous producers, very, very efficient producers, you know, farmers and graziers and so forth. But we should be, we should also control the downstream processing now, our sugar refineries are owned, as I understand it, substantially uh, by um, businesses based in Singapore. Well, Singapore is hardly an agribusiness um, 
or an agricultural country, uh, and yet it has been able to uh, leverage access to our agribusiness assets. Is my point. Now I don't know where. I mean, I'm you know I'm, I'm a country boy and wasn't raised on a farm, but it just strikes me. I want to see Australia prosper, and I think we should be building corporate assets and skills around our natural advantages. Mining, get that. Why not agribusiness? I mean, if you want to run, if you're let's just say you're a 16, 17 year old in regional Australia, and your aspiration is to run a global agribusiness business, you would have to leave Australia and go to Auckland, uh, where Fonterra is based, or uh, somewhere, or in Singapore, perhaps, or America, or South America, in order to do that. I feel that this is something that we need to um, to look at as a nation and say, by 2030, certainly by 2040, we aspire to be a world leader, not just in production, but in the whole downstream agribusiness corporate entity, um, where we're snapping up assets in other countries rather than having our assets snapped up by others. It's a very interesting observation, Bernard, and you. I think you mentioned uh, elders in that conversation in your discussions, but also if you look at, say, West Farmers or CBH in uh, cooperative bulk, bulk handling in Western Australia, Murray Goldwyn, of course, in in um, in the past it was growing quickly, but this B-class shareholders issue is is hard when they need to raise capital and have a, a different type of yeah. shareholder that wants a, a return on asset rather than uh, better milk prices. But um, in terms of wool, I mean, you know, we are we are the the, the global dominant. We, we have a global monopoly of fine apparel wool. Um, I, I just wonder what how that's evolved. Maybe it's uh, it, we've had to it's so, so labour intensive to process wool. Um, it ha, it it always has required a uh, a low labour processing component. Whether that was China or in the past it's been Japan, maybe yeah. that can be another opportunity for Australia. I don't know. What's your view of that? Uh, well, yes, wool wool is uh, is interesting. Uh, you know, I, I do feel that the experience with the pandemic has created a situation where initially when the pandemic arrived, everyone was saying, let's just get back to normal. But I think as the years have passed, two and a half years or so, I think there's been generational change. I think the baby booms are stepping back, Generation X and the millennials are moving forward. And I think there is a new, there is an appetite for actually rethinking the whole thing. It's called the Great Reset. Let's not just get back to the way things were, you know, wool production or whatever, agribusiness production. How would you organise it? If you have the, if you have an asset like Australia and you have skills like we have in the wool industry or in other sectors or whatever, where should we boldly, aspirationally, where can we get to? What should what should our corporate entities look like? They should reflect our natural and, trin- and intrinsic skill sets and natural advantages. We're brilliant at producing the world's best wool, I would have thought. We should be brilliant at creating a corporate entity that captures that value, adds value to that, to the Australian people, and then projects that across the planet. Now, I don't know how to do that. I'm not a corporate uh, expert or whatever, but I think that this is where we're at. It's let's wipe the whole whiteboard clean, look at what we've got, 
look at where we want to get to, look at what what our assets are, and think, well, how how would we get to where we want to get to? Now, with with Wall, I'm, I'm, I have no idea who the major players are in uh, in the production and in the, cor- you know, the corporate management of uh, of the wool industry. And I suppose that that says a lot. <laughs> Maybe it's just my ignorance in this sector. But again, I think it's almost like you know you need to get you know the major players uh, into a room and say, right, how would you organise this in a uh, 2022 to 2032 10-year plan to um, take wool as a component of Australian agribusiness to a global level, where we we are the shapers of the narrative rather than the takers. And the takers mean buyer comes in and says, you know, we'll buy this and we'll buy that and you try and leverage up the price and whatever. Okay, get that. I don't want to be a taker. The Australians should be should be shaping the narrative here. I think we shape it in in resources and in mining. Why can't we shape it or have more of a of a shaper hand in uh, in agribusiness and in and in wool? So the short answer to your question, Marius, is uh, I I can't say this is the way forward. I don't have that skill set, but I I think part of the process is to point out the anomaly, point out the aspiration, and saying, my fellow Australians, do you agree with me that this is where we should go? These are the skill sets, these are the assets, these are the corporate entities that I think we need to take this valuable production output, commodity, wool, and project it and add value to the world for for our own prosperity, but also for creating opportunities for young people. Again, you know, if you're a young wool producer in Australia, you, you want to be able to see that there are corporate entities here that you can actually invest in, be part of, contribute to, rather than thinking, well, I have to go to, I don't know, somewhere in America or somewhere in Europe or whatever, in order to uh, uh, to see the wool story um, uh, really presented to the rest of the world. I don't know what I'm dreaming here, Maurice. You, you tell me. <clears throat> no, no, well, I think... Uh... <clears throat> There's um, the, the the vision for the Australian wool industry and uh, the 2030 vision of the National Farmers Federation, but also of the organisation I work for, Australian Wool Innovation, um, may well capture that. And there's been some interesting reports around uh, around domestic processing and the revival of that in recent times. But Bernard, looking at the at the other end of the wool industry, and that is the consumer. I mean, no one really sells anything until a consumer hands over a yeah. credit card to to yeah. purchase that jumper or I'm just trying to see how much wool you're wearing there. I think there's a woolen jumper there. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> good, good. yeah. Thank you. So the the consumer of the future, we're, we're hearing more about Gen Z wanting uh, wanting to feel much better about the planet when they purchase uh, to know that, to uh, expose their their values and and have their values in action when when they hand that credit card over. What's your yeah. What's your uh, message well, for agribusiness in that sense? Well, this is um, this is something that I've written about uh, quite recently. That um, I think the values of um, the millennials, and these are the children of the baby boomers, born 1982 to the year 2000, and then the next generation, born the year 2000 to to today. Uh, I think that I call them post post 
post-consumerist, post-materialistic consumerism. They, they're buying stuff not simply to acquire it. It's got to fit a certain narrative. There's a civic-mindedness to the, to the, um, to, to the purchase behaviour and also the working behaviour of this generation, of these generations. Is it clean? Is it green? Does it make a contribution to uh, the planet, to society? Uh, is it an ethical pro pro uh, product or service? Is it transparently proven that it is an ethically produced product? These are, these are questions that, uh, as baby boomers, never occurred to our generation in, say, the 70s and 80s and, and 90s. And I'm very pleased to say more, more, you know, later in life, you've become aware of these things. But I think uh, millennials and Gen Zs, or Zs, as they're called in uh, America, uh, they will want to work in an industry that is ethical, that is clean, that is green, and you would have to say agribusiness is all of those things, Australian agribusiness at least. And even as consumers, uh, increasingly you see that products have... Um, this was done very early in the food industry uh, where foods on supermarket shelves get the heart tick. Now, this is good for your heart. And so that was almost like an independent body accrediting this product as being, you know, um, good, good for you in any respects. And that concept, I can see that has been replicated across a range of products and services. Um, and I think that this is very important to, uh, to the consumer of the future. They don't, they want to work in an organisation that is ethical and they want to buy products that are ethical, that are clean, that are green, that make a contribution to the planet and certainly, um, and grazing agriculture as such, wool production, um, even, you know, the wool and fibre uh, is, is, a, is a natural product. All of that augurs well. We just need to package it, promote it, make sure it's transparently promoted to, um, uh, to consumers, that, uh, that it aligns with what I would call 21st century consumerist values, uh, certainly in, in the West. And I can see that just uh, becoming more and more important for uh, for um, producers and consumers going forward. Do you see uh, blockchain as being part of that? What is the technology that assists in that story? <laughs> I mean, we're, we're so used to QR codes and they've been around for a bit now, and particularly in the wool industry where you can... Um, you can see where the, where the wool was grown and what have you. What are the technologies that you see uh, assisting this storytelling for, for agriculture and particularly wool? Well, I, I am one, I suspect, of uh, a vast majority of people who have no idea how blockchain actually works, <laughs> other than the fact that I think it's a simple, clean, clear way of authenticating a transaction. You know, here is a product that's produced this way, um, and uh, it's you know it's a way of actually just proving the um, the uh, I suppose the supply chain um, processes by which it has arrived. So in that respect, you know it's a it's a new technology. It seems to work. Uh, no one knows how it works, but it seems to work. But I, I would think that all you know blockchain, whether it's QR code or whether in fact there is another technological development in the mid 2020s that supersedes the lot. The reality is I think that the industry, um, Australian agribusiness industry, wool industry included, need to be very open to um, continual change, open to new technologies. And in fact, uh, 
just have a look at um, all the ways in which recorded music has changed. Now, it used to be in flat vinyl um, records, and then it was in cassette tapes, and then it was in Walkmans. Now it's streamed. Uh, you think, oh, how can it evolve any further? But, but the point here is that, that people want the product, but the channel by which they receive it, how it's managed, how it's packaged, is continually evolving. And you can't predict that. You can't say, well, we need to move to this technology because that's the technology of the, uh, the 2020s. That may be so. But it's but it also going to evolve further from that. The, any, any producer, any corporate entity managing and delivering and promoting a product needs to be aware that all of these technologies are changing all the time. And uh, people go on about the term agility, but it is absolutely uh, correct. You need to uh, identify new technologies, new processes, uh, and to lean into them uh, as they uh, as they evolve, and then accept that well, that that might just uh, be there for the next um, you know ten years or so. Then you have to move on. Good example of this is the rise of call centres. I remember when call centres came in. You know, new technology. Um, there's be a global call centre in India or the Philippines or something like that. And this was in the 1990s. You could actually see the call centre numbers surge uh, on the Australian continent in the 1990s. Uh, the most recent census, uh, call centres are losing favour in, in preference to the rise of app technology. You don't ring a bank and sit on a phone line for an hour waiting for your turn. <laughs> Consumers want... So they, they download an app. And, and interact with the business uh, that way. So you can see that technology rises, it, it reigns supreme for maybe a year, 10 years, 15 years, and then a new technology supersedes it. And the skill set that's required in any business is the ability to identify the new technology that, it, uh, that uh, arises and to um, adopt and accept that, you know, that, that will dominate for maybe... 5, 10, 15 years or so before another new technology arrives. So, Bernard, the message really that um, you're portraying here for, for agriculture, agribusiness and indeed the wool industry here, from tell me if I'm wrong, but you've set down a challenge to uh, take better control of our product and grow some significant uh, multinational businesses potentially. But... Your message here is really one of optimism and growth for, for agriculture and agribusiness by the sound of it, based on just our incredible assets in Australia. Well, it is uh, based on optimism and uh, particularly for Australia. The UN uh, recently estimated that the world population passed 8 billion about uh, three or four days or so ago. Um, you know, these are all estimates. You can't possibly know precisely when that happened. Um, but the but the projections show the world population going to 10 billion uh, at, by 2080 in the 2080s. So it's another 25% to the world population over the next 60 years or so. And so I would think that um, food, energy, resources are the kind of businesses that must flourish one way or another over the next 60 years. And if you think, well, what does Australia have to offer? Food, energy, resources. We should have world's best practice corporate entities in food, energy, resources, so that we can actually make a contribution to the world to um, uh, assist humanity. 
Now, for uh, younger people, younger generations, you know, thinking, well, that next 60-year time frame substantially covers my career uh, and I want to be involved in a business on the Australian continent that makes a positive contribution to humanity over that time frame. It aligns with values. It aligns with our um, natural advantages on the Australian continent. And I think that you now what I'm really calling for here is I think that all Australian business needs to be given permission to say we've survived this terrible pandemic. It's time now not just to be determined to get back to normal. Let's wipe the slate. How would you organise your business? Okay, it's the wool industry. It could be a logistics business. It could be a mining business. It could be a home construction business. How would you organise that at a national level to, to create the vehicles to deliver prosperity to the Australian people for the next 20 plus years or so. I think we need to be bold. I think we need to be creative. I don't think we should be at all uh, timid just because, you know, we're a relatively small nation. We're a small nation, but we are a big player in in these fields, in agribusiness, in wool, uh, in energy. We need to think that, uh, we need to think that through uh, as to uh, where we think, where we want to take that. Uh, over the next, uh, well, in the, certainly in the in the immediate post-pandemic period, now is the time to um, seize the moment, grasp the nettle, and think big about Australia's future. And I was I was surprised in your presentation the other day when you mentioned Australia is the twelfth largest economy. That was uh, I, I didn't realise we we're such a big player. We're that big, yes. There's 195 countries, um, according. You know, you can vary that depending on how you define a country. 195 countries, when you rank them top to bottom in terms of their gross domestic product, um, converted into US dollars, so it depends on your exchange rate at a particular point in time. But we are number 12. So we sit between Russia, which has about 150 million people, and Brazil, which has close to 200 million people. Uh, And so Russia, Australia, Brazil, all produce about the same income, gross domestic product, uh, in US dollars. Uh, And my observation is we have extraordinary wealth per capita, whether it's fairly or evenly distributed. We could argue that, you know, just put that to one side for a moment. And you think, well, where do we spend our wealth and prosperity? I, I say, well, we spend it. We don't spend it on waste and corruption. We don't spend it disproportionately on military adventurism. We spend it disproportionately, I think, on quality of life, lifestyle, infrastructure, superannuation, but above all, housing. These are our, this is where our wealth goes. But if we are to maintain that position in terms of GDP per capita, uh, I think that we need to be, um, we need to be controlling or leveraging the natural assets and advantages that we have, and not just being good producers, you know, at the coalface, which which we are, uh, but we need we need to create corporate entities that can manage and control that asset and pitch it to the rest of the world. And you know, we we kind of do it, but is there a better way of doing it? Is my question. Well, Bernard Salt, our time is up. Um, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Uh, you, the, your ability to, to, to clarify 
enormous amounts of data and big picture um, in, in a crazy world is, is quite brilliant. Um, thank you very much for having a yarn with us. My pleasure. Thanks, Maurice. Bernard Salt AM, demographer, author, business analyst, and I have to say, a truly wonderful guest speaker if you ever get the chance to see and hear him. But I hope you've enjoyed what he had to say as much as I did. You can follow us, Australian Wool Innovation, on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. But for now, from me, Murray is coming. Thanks for having a yarn with us.